And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. Um, I just, I consider it such a privilege that Pastor Zan and Abigail trust me to be up here and to deliver a word. Um, It's not something that I've done super often, but it's something that is always exciting um, and such a privilege. So I'm excited for what God has for us this morning. I'm just going to pray for us again real quick, uh, if you'll join me. So God, I thank you for this morning. Uh, We just give it to you. God, we're all here for you, and we only want what you have to give. God, we just pray that the words that I speak this morning would be from you, of you, and honoring to you. God, I pray that you would encourage us um, in our faith and to share our faith. Um, And God, that we would just point everything that we do back to you this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before I get started this morning, I've got a couple questions for you guys. All right. Number one, on a scale of one to ten, ten being certain and one being not so sure, if you were to die today, how certain are you that you'd go to heaven? Coming out swinging this morning. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back today. But I just want you to think about it for a second. I know some of us have been believers for a long time. Maybe some of us are newer or haven't made that decision yet. Um, but I think it's something that is important for each of us to consider. So if you're a note taker, write down your number. Otherwise, just get that stuck in your head, okay? Number two, if you stood before the gates of heaven at this very moment and God asked you, why should I let you in? what would you tell him? Would you talk about your accomplishments and how you've tried to be a great person? Would you talk about, you know, I've, I've done my best. God, I think I've done mostly good. I've done more good than bad in my life. Or would you tell him about how great he is and what he's done for us? I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago uh, with pastor and author J.P. Pakluda, and he was telling his co-host that he makes it his goal to ask somebody those two questions every day of his life. Every single day, someone he comes across, he asks them those two questions. Um, Sometimes it's the person that's cutting his hair. Sometimes it's the cashier at the grocery store. But he swears that these two questions open the door for a discussion on faith and theology and provide him with a chance to share the gospel every single time he asks them. Some of you might have gotten a little squirmy when I asked those questions. Maybe you're not sure about what that number is or, you know, how, well, I thought I was sure, but now that you asked me, I, I don't know what, what, I, what I would say to God. Or uh, maybe you're, you're certain, but you're not exactly sure why. Or maybe you just feel a little uncomfortable at the idea of ever asking somebody else those questions. You know, those are, those are not like subtle questions to ask. Um, so some of us probably fall somewhere on that spectrum. But I believe that sharing the gospel is one of the most important things that we can do as believers. Yet it seems to be one of the most intimidating for us to carry out and one of the things that many Christians do least in their walk with Jesus. Barna Research Group determined to find out why that is. Um, They started actually in 1993 polling believers who had shared their faith and then followed up again in 2018 to see how answers had changed. And the first statement that they presented to the respondents was, converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church. And that's opposed to the people that make it up. So it is the job of the pastors on stage to convert people to Jesus versus the individual believer. And in 1993, only about 10% of Christians agreed with this statement. They still believe that it was their own personal responsibility to convert people to Christianity. But in 2018, that number had jumped to almost 3 in 10 Christians believed that it was the job of the church, not so much me, 
to convert others. And Barna reasons that that may be due to a misunderstanding that somehow an individual is separate from the local church, that it's not individuals that make up the church, that we all may have a role in the body um, on a Sunday morning, but also throughout the week. But likely it was also due to some personal or cultural barriers that had arisen since the time that they first asked. The second statement that Barna offered to their respondents was, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. That seems pretty straightforward to me. And in 1993, it seemed pretty straightforward to most Christians as well. 90% of Christians who had shared their faith agreed with that statement, which makes sense. If they're, if they're out there sharing it, they probably believe that it's their responsibility to do so. But in 2018, that number had dropped to 64%. So only about two-thirds of Christians believed that it was their own responsibility to share their faith. Christians are moving away from that belief that sharing their faith is their responsibility. Hope Culture Church, what if this is the year that you shared your faith? What if 2024 is the year that you shared your faith? Before we go any further, I do want to make a disclaimer that I'm speaking to myself just as much as I'm speaking to any of you in the room this morning. I still get butterflies in my stomach at the thought of sharing my faith with somebody. And there are times when I've been disobedient, times where I feel like God has asked me to do that and I've not done it um, out of fear or awkwardness or just convenience. Honestly, I'm running late and I don't have time to stop and share this with you. Um, but I never feel good walking away from those situations. I find myself, you know, asking God, help me to run into that person again. Just give me one more chance. I promise I'll do it next time. And I just feel unsettled by the fact that I had an opportunity to share and I didn't do it. There are times where I've shared my faith and the person I was speaking to didn't give their life to Jesus. But there are times where I've shared my faith despite my nerves and I've seen people's lives changed. In the times where I've stepped out in faith and shared the good news, I've always walked away more encouraged in my own faith, regarding, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what the other person decided in that moment. I'm always more encouraged and feel closer to God than before I had shared. First, I think it's important to talk about what the gospel means. For some of us, that's something that's very familiar. For others, it might not be. Uh, but according to Britannica, the word gospel is derived from the Anglo-Saxon term Godspell, which just means good story. It's quite literally the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God and separated themselves from him, and not only separated themselves, but every man and woman to be born into the world after would be separated from God and be born with a sin nature. That's bad news. That's not good news. So when you're sharing your faith, don't leave people here. Don't leave them feeling sad and without hope. It's important that we be aware of our sin and our need for a Savior, but we know that there's more to the story than that. Because God is our Father, because he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, he made a way for our sins to be forgiven and for our standing with God to be made right. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, yet die a sinner's death, taking on the sins of all mankind. He paid for the sins that we deserve to pay for so that we may know his father. He was raised from the grave three days after his crucifixion and is now seated in heaven with the father. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive the forgiveness that he offers and we're made new and promised an eternity with him. That's the good news. We are given a free gift that we do not deserve that comes with more benefits and bonuses than we can even count. 
when did it become bad or shameful or embarrassing to share that gift with other people? When did we decide that we're more afraid of someone's reaction to the gospel than we are determined to see them with us in eternity? When did we start to care so much about what the world thinks of us? Who's eaten somewhere amazing recently? Or watched a really great football game or basketball game? There's been a couple of those in the past few weeks. Did you talk to someone about it? Did you tell them to go eat there or talk over play? I've talked over plays with some of you in the room over some basketball and football lately. Um, who's found a great deal on a new pair of shoes lately or a new sweater? Did you tell someone about it or send them to go get it for themselves? We're Midwesterners, so we probably did. If someone compliments you, you know, you're like, I got it for $5 at Target, you know? Of course we shared. And we, if we get a steal, we have to tell somebody about it, Right. The way I see it, the gospel is a steal. Jesus died a painful death that should have been ours because he cared more about us and our souls and our relationship with him than he did his shame and torture and his own flesh and blood. Why is it okay in our society to talk about our favorite football team? We'll, we'll defend them to the end, even if the person across from us disagrees. We are loyal to that team, and we don't care what anybody says. But we hesitate to share about the one who's changed everything. Why is it important for us to share our faith? I think the biggest reason is because Jesus said so. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus has been resurrected, and he tells his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus promises that he's coming back one day to make all things new, and those of us who have chosen to follow him will get to experience the fullness of heaven on that day. But his will is that everyone would turn towards him, and he's being patient in his return, giving us the chance to make more disciples. I just think it's so cool that the God of the universe, our creator, wants us to play a part, and he's going to wait. You know, I'm going to wait. I'm going to sit back and let you do your thing. But he is coming back, and I think we have the responsibility to share about him as much as we can before he does. People are hurting out there. It doesn't take much more than a couple news stories or scrolls of your timeline to see that. Most of us don't have to look much further than our own friends or family to know that if you don't know Jesus in this life, things can seem really, really hopeless. But as Christians, we have the answer. If you had the cure for cancer, would you share it? I would hope so. But we're walking around with the cure to death itself every single day, but we're hesitant to share it. The reality is that when we die, we're going one of two places. This is true of every person. Matthew 3.12 says, His winnowing fork is in hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I didn't say it. The Bible did, okay? <laughs> the message that this verse and much of the Bible brings seems to be too exclusive in this day and age. 
I believe we're in a time where everyone is looking for something, some higher power, a higher purpose, an escape from the pain that they're going through. But they want to be free to find that anywhere in any way that they choose. But we as Christians know that anything apart from Jesus will fall short and will fail them. And instead of advertising Christianity as a club that only the elite can get into, I believe we're going, we have the responsibility to go to the hurting, share the gospel, and lead them to the only source of true life and true freedom that there is. It's not exclusive or elitist to say that Jesus is the only way, but I believe that it's dishonest and deceptive to say anything to the contrary. Far too often we approach the gospel and our faith as solely a means just to get to heaven. You know, if we can get somebody saved before they die, you know, mission accomplished. But, and while this is arguably one of the greatest perks that we get to spend eternity with Jesus, uh, as soon as we say yes to him, our lives begin to change. He promises to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to live in, like one member of the Trinity lives inside of you when you accept Jesus and leads you in your day-to-day life and changes your perspective, if not the very situations that you're in themselves. When we choose Jesus as our Savior, we have hope for today and for tomorrow and for every day to come, no matter what life throws at us. Has anyone in the room ever heard the uh, common phrase, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words? This quote is widely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, dating back to the 1200s, even though most scholars don't actually believe that he said it. Um, But it's the notion that as we live our lives, we should do so in a way that portrays the gospel. The actions that we take should mirror those of Christ. And in the few rare situations that require something else, well, then maybe we could actually talk about it. You know, and I used to love this quote, but I think because it gave me an out. I thought that if I lived my life in a way that demonstrated God, I didn't have to have the awkward conversations. You know, people would just know. They would know that it was Jesus, and that's why I lived my life the way that I did. And as I was writing this message, I was thinking back to my freshman year of high school, sitting in Mr. Dyer's English class, and a friend and I were, I think we were talking about youth group or church from the week before, and one of our classmates jumped in, um, and he kind of asked us to defend our faith. He said, I don't believe in God. Like, I think it's a waste of time that you guys go and do these things every week. Um, I don't believe that, that there's any validity to it. He told us that we hadn't faced any adversity in our lives, so it was easy for us to believe in a benevolent creator. He said, of course, you haven't had any challenges. Of course you can believe that there's a good God out there. Now, at this point in my life, I had lost my older brother in a car accident. In that same year, I had lost my grandmother, my mom's mom as well. And even younger than that, I had watched my dad nearly die of cancer. I had felt my fair share of pain. I had faced my fair share of adversity. And I was able to tell him of those things that I had been through. But not only was I able to tell him of that, of the adversity that I'd faced, but I was able to tell him of the miracles that I'd seen him work in my life. He had blessed our family with a baby brother just months after my older brother's car accident a baby that my mom should not have been able to have. I had seen my dad defy a cancer diagnosis that had promised him no more than four months to live. And I had been comforted and carried by a strength and a hope that was not my own as I walked through grief in the years prior. And had I not used my words to tell of the goodness of God, he would have gone on believing that my life was just happy-go-lucky and that it was, it was easy, you know, that God, God had paved my way perfectly um, and there was no reason I shouldn't believe in him. 
but because I was able to share in words of why my faith was where it was, I'm hoping it left a lasting impression on him. I know that sharing your faith with others can be scary. I get it. It's scary for me too, um, especially in our day-to-day lives. You know, while we're in here surrounded by fellow believers, we can get that courage up. We're like, I can do this. And then you get in that conversation at work or with a stranger at the grocery store, and you're like, oh, maybe next time. You know, you just keep on walking. Um, what if they're not interested? What if they yell at me? Or what if it's someone I know and they distance themselves from me or don't want to spend time with me anymore? I believe that those are all real possibilities, but what if it doesn't go poorly? What if they give their lives to Christ or at least want to continue the conversation? I'm not oblivious to the fact that in today's culture, sharing your faith isn't a popular thing to do, but I'd like you for a moment to consider the disciples. Every time they told someone about Jesus, they faced, they opened themselves up to not only verbal abuse, but physical abuse, persecution, imprisonment, and even death in some of their cases. The government and the religious authorities of that day were against them. And in Matthew 24, 9, Jesus told his disciples, you can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. He gave them a heads up. They knew what awaited them, and still they went and shared the good news of Jesus because they had seen it, They had seen it with their own eyes and an evidence in their lives of what he had done for them. These consequences are still a very real concern for some of our fellow believers across the world. They face the threat of persecution or job loss or relational or physical separation from their families every time they practice their faith or speak the name of Jesus. But if we live in America where we have the freedom to practice our faith and share about it with little to no consequence, What are we waiting for? Is it possible that someone could react poorly? Of course. But I think you could accidentally cut somebody off in traffic or in line at the grocery store, and you're more likely to be yelled at than if you shared your faith with them. It's time that we fear God more than we fear our fellow man. In college, I was a part of a college ministry at my church that was diligent and devoted to praying for people on campus. We believed that we would see revival come to the University of Illinois in our time there. So we gathered four plus nights a week to go out onto campus and pray or to worship or to gather in small groups. Um, It led many of us to pray for our peers throughout the week as well because we knew the other members of our group were out there doing the same thing. And when we'd come back together, we'd get to share testimonies about what had happened that day or earlier that week and just encourage each other. So one day I was walking down Green Street the busiest street on U of I's campus, and I saw a man who was blind walking with a cane. And in that moment, my faith was so bolstered for his healing that I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop him. I'm going to tell him about Jesus, and I'm going to pray for him. And I almost didn't because that's a big, that's a big ask, right? That's, that's some great faith that I'm going to see this blind man healed in Champaign, Illinois, on the middle of U of I's campus. But I stopped him, and I told him, you know, I stopped you because I wanted to pray for you. And I barely got the words out before he unleashed on me. He said, I'm willing to bet you're from that church on that street. And I said, I sure am. And he said, I cannot count the number of you people who have stopped me asking to pray for me. He said, it's inconvenient. It's inconsiderate. I don't believe in Jesus, and I don't need to be healed. 
So I stood there for many minutes while he let me know his feelings about what I had done that day and, um, you know, dodged the eyes of the onlooking classmates that passed, knowing I'd be late for class. But I let him say what he needed to say because I could tell that it was important to him. And when he was done, I said, well, you have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you for talking with me. And on shaking legs and tears in my eyes, I, I walked my way to my next class. I told Stephen I was thinking about this story the other day, reliving it, and I, it was like all the same feelings all over again. You know, I, I had worked up that courage, and I just felt so humiliated. Um, but at the very same time, my heart swelled with pride knowing how many people from my church and from my college group had cared enough about him and had the boldness to ask to pray for him. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 9, 37 through 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Hope Culture Church, I pray that you would answer the call choosing to become laborers of the harvest. Well, Allison, what if they have questions I don't know how to answer? What if I share about my faith and they have a rebuttal? Or they just have clarifying questions and I don't know what to say? I think that's okay. I think it's okay and should be normal for us to say, I don't know the answer to that question. But if I could find out for you, would you be willing to continue this conversation? A lot of times those questions that people pose are not really their hang-up to believing in Jesus. It's just something that they've heard or a way they've found to shut down that conversation real quick. But I think if we say, you know, if, that, if the answer to that question fit in God's narrative, would you be open to knowing more about him? Well, what if they listen to what I have to say and they still don't believe? I think that's okay, too. It's not the best outcome, but at the very least, they've come face to face with who Jesus is, and they've had to make a decision. And you've planted a seed that may come to fruition in the future, even if you don't see it happen that day. But what if they do believe in that moment? And what if their lives and the lives of their families are forever changed because you took that time to tell them about Jesus? Jesus promises that he will be with you as you share the gospel, and that he wants everyone to be saved. Those seem like pretty good odds to me when we go to share our faith. Even if you don't see them come to faith in that moment, you've at least been obedient to what God has asked you to do, and I believe that he honors that greatly. Well, what if I don't know what to say, or it feels awkward or uncomfortable to even start the conversation? I believe that it probably will the first few times that you have it, or depending on who you're talking to. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If a few moments of discomfort for you leads to an eternity changed, I think we can all agree that it'd be worth it. I have a dear friend, and her name is Angela, and I met her on my first day of freshman astronomy at the local junior college. And we turned out to be studying the same major and spent a lot of time in the following years in classes together. Um, and in those first couple weeks, she really stepped out and made an effort to become friends. She had just moved to the town. She wanted community. And at first, I was a little taken aback. But I'm like, okay, she seems normal enough. You know, let's give it a try. 
Um, and we spent a lot of time together in the next couple of years um, forming a really sweet friendship. And as we were both preparing to transfer from junior college to the University of Illinois, she asked me to join an honors fraternity with her. And she said, you know, this will look great on a resume one day. We'll find even more friends at U of I, and we'll be invited to some really great parties. And I'll admit, at this time in my life, that sounded appealing to me. That was, you know, the friendship that we had at that point in the life that I was living. It was like, yeah, new friends and great parties. Let's go and do it. But in the same week at church, I was approached by somebody who was starting the college ministry that I had mentioned prior. And they said, you know, we want a place for believers to come and find community and build friendships. And we want to see the University of Illinois changed and one for Jesus. So I had to make a decision between my friend Angela or following what I believe Jesus was calling me to. And I did choose to join my college ministry, and I was worried that that would cause a divide in our friendship. You know, that we'd spent all this time together, and I thought we were going to join this together, um, but you, you picked that over me. But I didn't. We stayed friends. We still hung out. We ended up working together for many years. Um, and I was able to start to share my faith with her as my boldness grew being surrounded by fellow believers. It did take a long time, but she finally came to a prayer and worship night that our group had, and it was a particularly lively one, um, consisting of prophetic words and hours of extended worship, and I was so, I'm like, she's never coming back. She finally came, and she thinks we're all weirdos, and she's never coming again, Um, but she did. She would come to church with me on Sunday mornings and, you know, drop by every so often when I was hanging out with those friends. Um, But it wasn't until years later, where I moved back to Elgin, um, that she started attending church on her own. The church that I had gone to while I was there, and um, I got a text from my mom and my sister, and eventually Angela one morning that she had given her life to Jesus that Sunday morning. And I was heartbroken that I couldn't be there. You know, I was like, oh, it was six, seven years I've put in to like, you know, asking her to come, and she does it when I leave, but obviously so excited that she made that decision. And weeks later, she asked if I would come baptize her back in that same church. Um, And it was just something that I never would have gotten to see the fruit of had I not been uncomfortable and stepped out and shared in relationship. And then the last objection I thought through that I think a lot of believers have in sharing their faith is, well, I don't have it all together. I don't walk this Christian life perfectly. If my life isn't polished and wrapped up with a bow, well, then who am I to tell others about Jesus? From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God uses the most unlikely of people to carry out his purposes. David was the smallest amongst his brothers, and God used him to advance his kingdom. Matthew was a tax collector in poor standing with his community, and God still sent him to make disciples. Moses did not speak well, but God chose him to be the spokesperson to set his people free. And Peter was a hot-headed fisherman who Jesus chose to become a fisher of men. And these are just four examples. The Bible is full of more people than not who had something that the world would tell them disqualified them from being a follower of Jesus. But Jesus qualified them, chose them, and sent them out. And while these are all valid concerns, I believe that the reality of why we share Jesus is so much bigger than any of them. Each of our eternities is held by God, but there may be people in your life who need you to lead them to him. Where they spend eternity could change because you decide to get a little bit uncomfortable. Guys, this is good news. 
When did we decide that it's anything else? We don't hesitate to tell people about our favorite restaurants or sports teams or books. And how much greater is our God and what he's done for us? In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus is healing the sight of two blind men. And he tells them, you will have what your faith expects. Or in other translation, it says, because of your faith, it will happen. What if this is the year that we believe that God is able to do what he says he will do? What if our faith is so bolstered that we can't help but share it with others? What if sharing your faith this year looks like loaning a little bit of it to a friend who doesn't have it and letting them know that you're praying for them and that you have faith for change to come in their lives even if they can't see it yet? What if 2024 is the year that everyone that you know knows that you not only believe in Jesus, but that you have faith that he says that he will do what he says he will do? Sharing your faith might look differently for all of us depending on if you've shared your faith before, if you've done it once or twice or hundreds of times. It may look different in um, how you take that next step. But what if everybody in this room this morning just decided to jump in with both feet and just go for it this week? What if we came back next week with stories of how we had shared our faith, sharing our successes and our seeming failures with the people around us who can encourage us and embolden us and sharing our stories um, of what it looks like to see God change the lives of the people around us? How would the lives of your friends, families, neighbors, and coworkers be changed if you chose to share your faith with them this year? I know it can seem like a lot, so I wanted to share just a handful of action steps that you can take in the coming week. You don't have to do them all. Maybe just pick one and start there. Um, but number one is practice sharing the gospel in a way that's clear and concise. Know the good news that you're sharing. You know, get down a little elevator speech, a, a quick two-minute recap of what the gospel is, what Jesus has done in your life, maybe a before and after. This was my life before I knew him, and this is how I've changed since knowing him. Um, I think if you get reps in with people who you're comfortable with, whether that's in front of the mirror or with a spouse or a friend, practice on them. Share the gospel with pe the people who already know it. Um, you'll get more comfortable sharing, and you'll be ready in those situations that arise. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Number two, be on the lookout for opportunities to share your faith. Wake up and ask God, show me somebody today that you want to hear your good news. People love to tell you about how hard their days were or the things that are coming up that they're dreading. Use those moments to speak life into them and to point them back to Jesus. Number three, invite somebody to church. Maybe you do believe that it's the local church's job to convert people to Christianity, and that's great. We're willing to do it. Bring them, sit them in the seat next to you, and let Pastors Dan and Abigail do the talking. Let them answer the questions that they have. They'll do it. They're ready, right? Yeah. Bring them to church. Just bring them along. Say, hey, it's okay if you don't believe what I believe. Do you want to come see what it's all about? You know, I have some great friends that would love to meet you. Um, just come sit with me one Sunday. And number four, just do it. Do it scared. Do it when you're nervous and let yourself be surprised by what God can do. Maybe some of us in the room aren't quite ready for any of these steps yet because you've never chosen to follow Jesus for yourself. 
I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Um, I shared about the gospel earlier, but we believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died on a cross, a death that he didn't deserve, but that he, uh, paying a price that he paid so that we could be made right and know God and spend eternity with him. And if you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd invite you to do that this morning. Um, if there's anyone in the room who is kind of feeling that tug or that desire to know him personally, would you just slip a hand up? Just like right over the chair in front of you, just so I can see it, nobody else. Okay. Well, I want to pray for any of us in the room. Um, those of you who do know him, would you pray with me for anyone who's made that choice this morning? God, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the promises that you've made and the way that you've made for us to come to know you. Jesus, we know that we are sinners, that we've made mistakes, that we've fallen short of your standard of righteousness. And God, I just pray this morning um, that anyone in the room who's not chosen to make you the Lord of their life uh, would see you in a new way. God, we believe that Jesus came, that he died a death to pay for our sins, and that he was resurrected again. And we commit to making him the Lord of our lives and to following him from this day forward. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you send to dwell inside of us as we walk out this life with you. We love you, and we praise your name this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.